New Mexico beat Colorado State 68-66 to last night. The two teams combined to score on 12 of the final 14 possessions of the game. There were seven lead changes in the final minute of that game. Isaiah Stevens had 20 for Colorado State. He shot 8 of 12 and had 9 assists. New Mexico had four players score between 13 and 16 points. Down Great a, game to watch, actually. Oh, and perfect Great timing. Great game to watch. The final four minutes was a halftime of the UNLV Air Force game. Good timing, Mountain West. Appreciate that. Um, Donovan Dent of New Mexico has now three game-winning layups in the final yeah. five seconds this season, and all of them have just been get the ball, dribble straight up the court, and lay it in. And there's a kid who last year didn't do very much, and no. as a sophomore, he's blown up. Yeah. He's I, really good. They, ha they have three really good guards. Yes. Uh, plus JT Toppin. Plus who's JT good Toppin inside. He's inside. very good. Uh, and they got Colorado State last night by two. It's a fun conference. I, I'm i telling you, they're my pick when they come here. They're uh, going to be my pick when they come here because it's going to be on a neutral. There's going to be none of these away games in the Mountain West. And we've talked about this. I think them and San Diego State are probably the best teams on a neutral. Um, but I I picked New Mexico to begin the year, and, a, and if I would have had a poll, um, I would have picked them. I, I just think they're the best team. I don't know why. I just I, And they've... You know, UNLV beat them twice. I understand that. Um, they could have lost last night, but I just think they're the best team. Yeah, they have the highest ceiling yeah. for sure. Like their ability to score with three different guards gives them the absolute highest ceiling. And the fact that they're actually good defensively this year is what makes them uh, a team that's actually going to make the NCAA tournament where in past years they've fallen apart and right. not made it. It's usually been the defense has been really bad. Great question. Thank nice. you. The Lady Rebels beat Wyoming 63-60 to in overtime. UNLV trailed 53-45 to with 3 minutes and 41 seconds to play. UNLV scored the last 8 points of regulation to force overtime. UNLV went to a 2-3 zone in the final minutes. And what I thought was funny is that they would just go and trap the ball handler in this zone. They just run two girls at the at the ball handler and force her to pass it, and no, and everybody else would just stay in the paint, and Wyoming just kept shooting threes, um, which they were wide open, but Wyoming I think went uh, one of nine from three point range in the final three forty plus overtime, like they got a bunch of open threes, just could not hit Couldn't a single one because UNLV went zone, trapped the ball handler, and said, all right, shoot some threes, shoot some threes. couldn't hit one. Um, so a comeback win for UNLV. They, I mean, you're down eight with 3.40 to go. You probably lose that game 90% of the time or something like that. Uh, so they came back and won. I believe they've clinched a share of the Mountain West title. Yeah. Um, I saw a stat this morning, you probably know it, that I think as, as good as they've been, and they've been obviously the best team for three years now, the road is the road. So it's, you know, like last night you saw, they probably, you know, uh, most times lose that game. They've won 17 straight Mountain West Conference road games. Like and I know, I know the women's basketball after the top two are not very good yeah. in the league, but you figure along the way, right? Something happens on the road. That's an I think that's an incredible stat. Yeah. Seventeen straight road conference games. That's that's amazing. Al that's almost two full seasons of just never losing. Of on never the road. losing on the road. Yeah, that's pretty. Impressive. That's impressive. Um, one complaint: Wyoming called three timeouts in a five-second span. Oh. Um, UNLV scored to tie the game with 19 seconds left. And in women's basketball, you get the advance rule. So Wyoming called a timeout to advance the ball up the floor. 
They come out of the timeout. They line up to inbound it. They call another timeout. Like, what the hell are you doing? They go drop another play. They inbound it. And UNLV traps the ball handler. And Wyoming's coach calls another timeout because she's about to turn it over. So it ended up being three timeouts called with five seconds coming off the clock. Guys, you're crazy. I can. I, we crazy. have to ban timeouts yeah. in college basketball. It's brutal. The UNLV-Nevada uh, game, between Alford and Kruger, there were five timeouts called in the last two minutes and five seconds of that game. Oh, my God. Get these people out of here. Stop, just let them play basketball. Like, just stop it. Part of the beauty of basketball is that it is a free-flowing sport. sport. Yeah. And we get to these final minutes and go, like, ah, we got to talk about every possession. Right. Timeout. Give me a timeout. Get over here. Wyoming calls three in, 19, in five seconds. Oh, you should be banned. That should be a technical foul. <laughs> Automatic loss. You call it. What if last night after the third one, they're like, "You lose." Yeah, you just game's over. Sorry, over. you couldn't figure you this out by now. You just you're yeah, done. You get three get out of here. That's a great, great question. The F1 race in Vegas will happen. The Clark County Commissioners put out a statement yesterday that it's going to happen for the next three years. Well, it's going to happen when you're sitting in suites. <laughs> if you have not followed this story. The race did happen this last year, but then Tix Ekoblum, was one of the Clark County commissioners, came out and was like, we never signed a contract. They keep saying they're going to race again this year, but we haven't done anything about that. And then it was supposed to be on an agenda. There was an agenda item for their meeting this week. They took it off. They were not talking about it. And then they just said, all right, it's happening. It's good to go. What, did F1 give them $10,000? Well... 10,000 and better suites. I guess, and I will upgrade your Look, tickets. Upgrade your tickets. You get a better suite, more food, more drink. Jeez. Unbelievable. Clark County Commissioner's like, wait a minute. And then it's a week of just, <laughs> ah, yeah, you, they'll ha it'll still happen. Making a bunch of noise for nothing over there. So F1 will be here. Nah, Clark County Commissioner's. I don't even know if they could stop it if they wanted to, by the way. Well, they didn't stop it last year, and he right. said they didn't sign a contract. I'm just like, like, could even if they wanted to, I don't know if they could stop. Maybe that's why they decided, ah, we'll just put a statement saying it's happening because we have no power here. It's going to be the same course, so get ready for the shutdowns. Hey, it's only the or there's only going to be construction for three months, not nine, not months, nine months or whatever the hell they said. So I guess that's good. I don't go down there, so it, it doesn't infect me that often. But for people that work down there, yeah, that sucks. Yeah, it's not good. Next question. Um, someone proposed for the college football playoff that the SEC and Big Ten get four teams each. Eight of the 12 with one group of five, <laughs> which would well, be nine. Well, I mean, I think if they did this format, there would not be a group of five team in the playoff. <laughs> Even undefeated groups of yeah, five. Yeah, I think they just say no, right. no, no. This, like, so presumably the Big Ten or the SEC suggested this, or both, but... They suggested that. So 8 of 12 would be SEC or Big Ten. You'd have four spots for the Big 12, ACC, uh, and then the, and the group, group of five. five conferences. And by the way, this would not preclude a fifth SEC or Big Ten team no, from exactly, getting in. No, exactly. It would just be four guaranteed SEC or Big Ten teams would be in. And the rest of college football, like, wait a minute, we get how many spots? And Notre Dame exists, so they probably get one too? Right. Brutal. Um there have been they approved the five and seven model for this upcoming season, but their meetings this week they've discussed like 14, should we go to fourteen, sixteen, should we go to sixteen? Yes. Should the SEC get four automatic qualifiers? Right. Should the Big Ten get four automatic? Like they can't just say, "All right, we're doing a twelve-team playoff. Let's see how right. it happens for right. a few years and yeah. then figure it out from there." I mean, you did your four for how many years? Yeah. Do your twelve, and now they're already like, "Ah, what if we go to sixteen? What if it's just the SEC and the Big Ten? 
We'll give one spot to the next best team in the country. Like, what are we doing? Just let the 12 team happen for a little yes, bit. Yes, exactly. And see, see what's wrong or marinate. not wrong. Yeah, exactly. And we'll be good to go. Next question. Enter Miami beat Real Salt Lake 2-0 oh, last night. Here he goes. He's starting. First game of the MLS season. Messi had an assist on Miami's first goal. Uh, two things. One, a player for Real Salt Lake um, got hurt, and by hurt I mean soccer hurt, where he was laying on the ground hoping to get a whistle while the ball was still in play. And Lionel Messi chipped the ball over him before taking a shot. Now, the shot got blocked. It would have been the funniest goal ever scored. But Messi chipped the ball over a guy on the ground, ran around him, got the ball, and shot. Would have been hilarious. Also, Messi took a free kick and nearly scored. But Real Salt Lake managed to head it off the goal line because on his free kick, they not only had the goalie, but they took two of their other players and just had them on the post specifically for, okay, to head it if out. Messi has a shot coming in near the corner, right. jump up and head the ball right. out of the net. So he Which is what score. happened. Exactly what happened. Messi might not score a free kick goal this year <laughs> because teams are just going to line five guys up and just say, all right, jump and head this one out in case it gets too close. Man, you know, that's a great question. All right. This could be one of the best stories. Uh, Derek Gunn. I don't know who Derek Gunn is, but apparently he covers the Eagles. But Derek Gunn tweeted out that the Eagles really miss Dom DeSandro. And if you don't know who Dom DeSandro is, he was the head of security for the Eagles that stepped onto the field to try to separate Dre Greenlaw of the 49ers right. and Devontae Smith. And he poked or touched or pushed Dre Greenlaw, whatever verb you want to use there. He ended up getting banned from the sideline for the rest of the season. And Derek Gunn tweeted, Big Dom controls Sirianni's emotions on the sideline. In his absence, Nick Sirianni gets into numerous arguments with players and coaches during games. So he said that they missed him at the end of the year because Big Dom will probably be back on the sidelines yep. next year. The part of their collapse was Big Dom not being there and Nick Sirianni was just yelling at everybody. And if Big Dom had been there, he would have said, Calm down, Nick. It's okay. I'll go poke Dre Greenlaw for us. But Nick Sirianni was just a hothead. Couldn't keep his emotions in check. Reading about the Big Dom and seeing him, I could see that. <laughs> did, right? he, did he keep Sirianni that in he check? he keep Sirianni in check. I, like, I could see that. I like this. I hope this yes. is true. And I hope that everybody just calls him Big Dom and not yes, Dom the exactly. Just Big Dom. We needed Big Dom on the sideline. Oh, you know that's what they call him. I hope so. It's fun. I'm out. Red Sox third baseman Rafael Devers uh, really wants the Red Sox to spend some more money. He said... Everybody in this organization wants to win, but leadership needs to make an adjustment to help us players be in a better position to win. Everybody knows what we need. You know what we need, and they know what we need. There's just some things I can't say out loud, but everybody that knows our organization and knows the game knows what we need. So he's, he's not really saying it. But he's ripping or the, he's ripping the uh, management for not doing enough to improve their team. To overly I mean, simplify this, the Red Sox won the World Series of 2018, and since then have been more focused on not spending a lot of money on players than they have been trying to win. Now, there's different levels of money spending in baseball. The Red Sox are clearly not the A's and the Pirates and the Rockies, but they're not the Yankees and Dodgers, right? When they should be, right? Yeah. I mean, if you if if we just were to forgetting about how good teams are like right now, if we were just to list off the teams that who should, should spend, be the right? highest spending right. teams they in baseball, they would be top five. Yeah, 
And they have been like top 10 most years, but they have not. The reason they traded Mookie Betts is they did not want to pay him. Right. They did not want to give him the 10-year-plus contract. $300 million contract. And it's been that way since 2018 where they're kind of afraid to spend money. And Rafael Devers, who's their best player, is like, what the hell are we doing here? Like, let's just spend some money, guys. So uh, I, it's to me, it's shameful that there are so many owners in baseball that don't spend money like the A's and the Pirates and the Rockies and stuff like that, it's also shameful at the top when you have the Red Sox that are out here like, well... Yeah, exactly. We're not well, going to spend... We, we want our title. Right. Well, we don't want to, you know, we don't want to spend that much money right. on players. People are still going to show up at Fenway Park whether we're in third place or in first right. place. So, yeah, sorry, Raphael. You're, you're our best player, so just carry the load for us, and we'll miss the playoffs four straight years because our division's stacked, and we're not right. going to spend any money. So that's where the Red Sox are. Coming up next here on ESPN Las Vegas, we're going to get into the Las Vegas Raiders. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is the Press Box with Granny and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Was that Johnny Manziel? Yes, yes. it was. Okay. Yes. There was a bag man. Is Texas A&M the worst, uh, what's the right way to phrase this, the worst value of any college sports team. And I, what I mean by that is the amount of money that athletic department has compared to how much they win. How, uh, how much they win, yeah. Yes. They have to be. Uh, yeah. they, Texas A&M, Jesus. All right. Texas A&M from 91 to 94 had four straight seasons with 10 wins. Since then, so since 95, they have two seasons with double-digit wins. Yeah, and they've got... And I don't know if they have more money than Texas, but it's close. But it's close. It's not too far away. No, it's not too far away. They five and seven and seven and six have been their last two seasons. They did go nine and one in the COVID year, so they almost they would have gotten to ten if that was a normal season, most likely. But they kind of suck. Yeah, but it's great to get fired by them if you're oh, the head coach. Oh, if you're the head coach, <laughs> you that's you, the way you want to go out. You don't aim to get national championships. You aim to get the payday when you <laughs> right. get fired. Exactly. <laughs> So, yeah, they're not very good, and they spend uh, more money than all but, like, five teams on their college football program. It's pretty great. Uh, the Raiders are reportedly hiring Joe Philbin to be an offensive assistant. Uh, Philbin was the head coach of the Dolphins from 2012 to 2015. 24 and 28 got fired uh, in season. Joe Philbin... Um, is going to join Marvin Lewis as a former head coach on the Raiders staff and maybe Hugh Jackson. They have not officially they hired Hugh offici Jackson. They haven't officially said Hugh Jackson. They so have Marvin Lewis. Maybe Hugh Jackson. We'll see if that happens, but they're going to be at least two, maybe three former head coaches on the staff for Antonio Pierce. Does that matter? Does that help? I mean, I thought him using uh, Coughlin and Lewis and these guys when he was an interim probably helped him a little. He had never done it before. Yeah. So to call them and it might have been as easy as like, how do you, you know, what, how did you guys run your practices? How, how did you do uh, organizational things? Um, now, I'm not so sure how much it matters. You're the head coach now. Yeah. So I think you're right from just an organizational or technical type standpoint. When he was the interim for sure. Right. He'd never done it before. Um, as far as game planning or anything like that, I'm assuming – Patrick Graham's calling the defense, and, and Luke Getz, he's calling the, the offense. offense. Right. And Antonio Pierce is more of the 
general manager, CEO type head coach on the sideline who, you know, can make suggestions and all that, but he makes the fourth down decisions and stuff like that, but he's not calling individual defensive plays or whatever. Um, So I don't know that having a former head coach helps that much in, in the offense or defensive play calling situations. Uh, He, I'm assuming doesn't need any help with the whole motivating side of this. He would seem to have that part of it down. All the players love him. If he doesn't have that part of it down, something's yeah. wrong given how he acts. The the main thing that I think he needs to get better at that I would guess former head coaches could help him with would be the in-game management of timeouts and challenges and fourth down decisions and stuff like that. That would be my assumption because that's something he had never done before. Right. Here you go. You're the interim. Perfectly understandable for him to not be good at that. He challenged an unchallengeable play and lost a timeout, I think, in his very first game. Uh, However, there's a story about Joe Philbin. Uh, Yahoo.com has a good recap of this. He was the interim head coach for the Packers at the end of a season a little while ago. In a game against the Falcons, Joe Philbin lost two challenges in the first 90 seconds of the game. (laughs) He challenged a Julio Jones catch on the first drive, lost. Two plays later, challenged another Julio Jones catch, and lost. So I don't know if Joe Philbin's giving the best challenge advice to Antonio Antonio Pierce. Pierce. (laughs) This guy, uh, also, I think he was in Dallas. He's the offensive line coach, I believe, in Dallas. Do you remember him, Danny? I do don't he was there for mike mccarthy's first three years okay did he help you guys think mike mccarthy was uh was that a well-coached team they had a really they had they've had a really good offensive line for a while for a decade but did he help mccarthy's uh head coach management did he help his time management i hope he wasn't the one challenging calls you guys neither one of you think mccarthy's good at time management do you no no yeah (laughs) not at all so philbin didn't help him he didn't help him with all but philbin also wasn't and a senior offensive assistant. That doesn't even sound like a real job. Yeah, they. it's not like – I don't think – because college you have to limit your positions, right? Yeah, you can only have so many uh, coaches, and then everything after so many, that is an analyst. They give these guys in the NFL just like titles that you're like, what, uh, what is that really? Yeah, what do you think Philbin's doing on a daily basis? I mean, basis? you have your offensive coordinator. You have your quarterback's coach. You have all your position coaches for the offense. What's he, what's he doing? He might genuinely just be talking to Antonio Pierce about yeah. – Here's how we hand. Here's no, how you should handle this scenario. Yeah, this situation that might genuinely be what his job is. Because yeah, what is he? Is he drawing up plays? Yeah, yeah but you can, you can hire someone who plays Madden for a living. For a I mean, lot that's cheaper. what I would do. Yes, yeah. that is what I would do. But that's not a Raider way, Danny. Come on, give him the title of senior offensive assistant. Yeah, and he's senior. Is that because he's old, or is that because he's not just a regular offensive assistant? Maybe because he's not. A regular offensive assistant? I don't. I don't know what he's. I don't know what he's doing. He's not drawing up plays. He's not calling plays. He's not. I, I, mean, I think he honestly over, is might, he going over to the wide receiver coach and saying you you got to have drills this way. I mean, I don't know what he's doing. I think he honestly might just be there as like a, a sounding hey, board. Yeah, for, for Antonio, Antonio Pierce. Pierce. Hey, what does Pierce need help with or yeah. whatever it is? And if you can have this many assistants, yeah, there's no him, problem. Who cares? Mark Davis is willing to pay him. Yeah, who cares? Go for it. Just don't ask him about challenging plays on the first drive <laughs> of the game. Uh, just stay away from that question, and you'll probably be okay. When I first saw his job title, first thing that popped in my head was, is he going to be like co-offensive coordinator? No, I don't think so. Like God, that would be funny. 
Like, but is he so. is he gonna have a say on plays that are called? No, no. You gotta have one guy doing that. You can't. I mean, in too during involved. the game, during the game, you have to have one guy. Yeah. it happened so fast. Did that be yeah. too involved? Like maybe he can be like, hey, in between drives, hey, we what about what do you think about this play? Yes, or we need to run the ball more, but or stuff like that. And, it's third and four, but that's there's twenty on the play clock. You can't have Joe Philbin yelling and hey, Luke, what do you think about this play? Oh, just wait. But that's a lot of times the head coach's role. Also, if he wants to see something on the next series, he'll say, it. "Yeah, he'll he'll say, hey, give the ball to Josh Jacobs yeah, three like straight see, times.' I'd like to see more Jacobs here or something like that. That's a, that's often the head coach who's in the who's in the headset saying that stuff. And that's what makes this hiring even more head scratching. Is like no, we don't know what he's doing exactly. He's Call. just a guy on the sideline because he's a former head coach. He's calling timeouts is what he's doing. Could be, could hey, be Antonio, telling me call it's time to call. It's, we'll it's, have to look into his timeout calling over his career, see they, if it was good. So just so we're clear, my staff would include a Madden player and also that kid from Idaho a State. Twelve-year-old, the twelve-year-old, the the, the the head coach's son at Idaho right. State who told him to call a timeout, and he was like, "Oh, that's a good idea." Yeah, <laughs> he now might be in high school and be, he might be he yeah. might be an assistant it's coach been, it's for been his been high a few school years. team. He's probably either playing on the high school team or he's a coach. He might be a junior offensive assistant. Ooh. Bring him in. Yeah. Get him on the sideline. Say, hey, Antonio, don't challenge that play. It's a terrible idea. Don't listen to Joe. Joe Philbin will challenge two in 90 seconds and lose them both. Can you? God, I hope that happens. Do you know how much fun I will have on Monday if Antonio Pierce loses two challenges in 90, 90 seconds? seconds? I don't even care what happens it's the rest just, of the game. That'll be the funniest thing that could happen. They could win 35 to 3. Right. And I'd just laugh. I'd be like, you lost two challenges in 90 nice. seconds? What are you doing? Be hilarious, especially because they were both Julio Jones catches. Well, what do we know or do we remember what Marvin Lewis's official title is? I don't. What's he? He's, we'll the, he's the junior offensive assistant. He's the junior, assistant. Offensive, he's the junior assistant. offensive assistant. All right, coming up next, we're going to get back into hockey as Kevin Woodley joins the show. As Quinn Hughes starts up, pass ahead, Bessersen feeds through, Miller in on goal, he scores! J.T. Miller on the setup from Brock Besser, and the Canucks on the rush open to scoring here in Denver. You're listening to The Press Box on ESPN Las Vegas. Joining us now is Kevin Woodley, who covers the Vancouver Canucks for NHL.com. Good morning, Kevin. Good morning. How are you? Good. Uh, We have not seen a lot of the Golden Knights and Canucks. They still have three more matchups before the season ends, but uh, race in the Pacific. We'll see if it's actually a race or if Vancouver runs away. But I do want to start. Canucks have lost three in a row. I think it's the longest losing streak of the season, which is pretty impressive. Has there been any problem the last three games, or is this just a sort of small sample size blip in the road for Vancouver? Oh, special teams have been a problem uh, during this stretch, and uh, it's part of a larger problem on the power play side of things, which is about the last thing you would expect here in Vancouver, given you know there are times their first unit power play goes out there, and it's basically six guys who were at the All-Star game, right? So <laughs> uh, it hasn't clicked the same way... Um, you know, you know, frankly, since the All-Star game, uh, they had a couple early games where Elias Lindholm, obviously the trade addition during the All-Star break, had a couple deflection goals, but it really looks like they've been trying to sort out sort of where he fits and how that affects everyone else, and they're in a bit of a funk right now. And, um, you know, you, you look the other night against Colorado, uh, 3-1 loss with an empty netter, tight game, uh, at key points in that game when the power play had an opportunity um, to, you know, if not tie the game and make a difference on the score sheet, at least build momentum, uh, not only did they not score, they didn't generate any chances. I mean, 
you know, two low danger, low low quality shots on two power plays just isn't going to get it done. And obviously that's exacerbated when you look at what happened in Minnesota, which was kind of just a freaky game. But you know, the Wild score four power play goals, uh, three on five on threes, and another on a five on four. You know, and again, Vancouver's power play on the other end just isn't effective. So special teams have been an issue. They miss Carson Soucy defensively on their PK as it started to sag a little bit. Uh, and the power play, you know, as I said, just seems to be more a matter of you know, sorting out how uh, what they hope is an important new piece fits into the mix of what has been a high-end power play for the last couple seasons. Uh, Golden Knights fans here are obviously watching the standings and be beyond the uh, recent losing streak. How did they get to this point? How, how have they been so good if you could take away the losing streak? How did they get to the where they're at? You know, up until this point, like the power play was a strength. There were times in the season where, you know, their power play was winning them games. Um, it, it's kind of been a bit of everything, which is, you know, which is what you have to have at different points throughout the year to be the number one team in the NHL um, at this point of the year. And uh, a lot of it is, is driven by their star players. You know, Quinn Hughes is, is having a Norris caliber season, JT Miller, uh, Elias Patterson, you know, another 100 point pace for him. Um, so and, and even when they dried up and they've moved around the top six at times, uh, there, there was a period where they where they reunited what we call the lotto lineup up here: Besser, Patterson, and Miller. Six forty and nine are their numbers, and the lottery up here in, in Canada is Lotto six forty nine. So, hence the nickname. They reunited them for nine games. I think they went eight zero and one with them together, and then split them up. So uh, there's been times where the top six has dried up. And they've been picked up by their third line. Um, J- Dakota Joshua is injured right now, but him with Connor Garland and Teddy Bluger, like there's been times where they've been a dominant, well, long stretches where they've been a dominant possession line as the third line for Vancouver, but then the scoring started to catch up. So, you know, and there's been other stretches early in the season where it was goaltending. So there's been a lot of different reasons. I guess if I could pull out one after rambling off all the different things that have gone right for this team. The foundation has been defense. The underlying numbers have them as a top-five defensive team uh, at five-on-five in terms of high-danger chances against. I get access to Stephen Valiquette's company, ClearSight Analytics, and that's where they've been kind of ever since Rick Tockett arrived here last season. They've maintained it this year, and that defensive identity and the staples that he's brought um, with all the different things that have gone on scoring here from this line, then that line, the power play going or not, that's been the foundation that's gotten them to this point. And it'll be interesting to see if they can continue it, you know, as games get tougher down the stretch here. I believe they have the toughest schedule in the NHL the rest of the way in terms of opponents based on their opponent's success and point percentage. Um, and so things are only going to get tougher from here. And the fact that, you know, they, they, lost, they lost in Boston 4 nothing on the most recent road trip. Uh, they come back and they lose to Winnipeg here where a couple key turnovers in the third period under pressure. And then against Colorado the other night, um, there's tests still, questions still to be answered, tests to be taken by this team. And because of that, I, I, I in no way think that either the Knights or the Edmonton Oilers are out of it in terms of catching up in the Pacific Division. Does winning the division matter a lot to the Canucks? Because we've talked about this from the Golden Knights standpoint, and I, we don't think it's too important that they win the division, or even really if they're two or three, that if the Golden Knights are healthy, that they can probably compete with and maybe beat anybody regardless of home or away. Does it matter for Vancouver? Is it important that they finish number one in the Pacific? 
Well, yeah, I, I think it might matter more. Um, they don't have that championship pedigree that Vegas does. And you saw, I mean, I know they. you said they've got three left. I think they've only played once, or at least the one that I remember was yeah. here in Vancouver. And it felt like a statement game. Like it felt like, and being in that locker room, in the Vegas locker room afterwards, it was kind of like a, you know, hey, we showed them, right? Like this is what it takes. We still have it in us. And it, it, it frankly at times felt a little, t- I know it wasn't, but it almost felt easy, like sort of like a, you know, the young up-and-comer being put in their place. Um, and, and so they're, the Canucks aren't playoff-hardened by any means. They, I mean, they've had one playoff appearance, you know, since 2012 in, in this city. And so this is a young group that basically their only playoff experience is in the bubble. And with, with no crowds and no travel, I'd argue that, you know, that isn't the real playoff experience. So for them to avoid Vegas in a 2-3, to avoid the Oilers, who are equally as hot in a 2-3, I think it might be a little more important. I mean, I would argue, like I know you said Vegas doesn't care, but I would argue anybody wants to avoid that. Like, you don't want to have to face, if you had your choice, you're probably not wanting to face the Edmonton Oilers in the first round of the playoffs. You'd rather wait, and especially when you look at what's waiting. I'm assuming first in the Pacific gets you first in the Western Conference. Um, and well, you never want to overlook, you know, a team that's fighting to get in and playing important hockey down the stretch to get into that eight spot. I think when you look at the composition and makeup of the teams that are in that battle, uh, you know, I think you like your chances against them a lot more than you would say facing the Edmonton Oilers or in Vancouver's case, the Vegas Golden Knights in round one. At this rate, with the Golden Knights injuries, they might fall to a wild card and they might end up playing Vancouver in the first round, even if Vancouver finishes first. Well, then scrap everything I just said. I don't, think the, I don't think the Canucks want any part of the Vegas Bowl. And they'll never say it, obviously. But I, I just think they would rather, Yeah. Uh, hey, who knows, maybe they rise to the occasion. But I think they'd rather sort of get their feet under them in terms of the playoffs before having to face the defending chance, especially, you know, how well Vegas has played against Vancouver for the last number of years. We saw last year the Golden Knights uh, use long-term IR, bring Mark Stone back for the first game of the playoffs. Mark Stone's hurt again. The timeline is potentially matching up with the end of the regular season. We'll see exactly what happens there. How much do you think Canucks fans would complain if that did happen? Vegas falls to a wild card. Mark Stone misses the rest of the year. They add a couple players to the deadline. And here's Mark Stone for game one of the postseason. Oh, I mean, it's not just going to be Vancouver, right? I mean, we've heard those screams when they won. You heard it out of Tampa Bay uh, when they won the Cup, or or not a, a from Tampa Bay, but about Tampa Bay from around the league. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's just a reality of the cap situation. And for sure, you're going to hear, you would hear those complaints, absolutely. But people in Vancouver um, should should be careful how much they complain because we're the OGs. Like, the originals, <laughs> when it came to this, was, you know, when you look at the Canucks playoff run in 2011, it was, um, you know, it was Sammy Sallow getting injured and being able to come back right at the beginning of the playoffs. And, you know, maybe not a household name uh, for a lot of people and certainly not if you're, you know, new to the sport since Vegas arrived. Um, but, you know, a really important top four defenseman with an absolute hammer of a point shot on the power play and his injury allowed them to make significant additions under the salary cap, and then lo and behold, he came back and they went, you know, to the 2011 Cup final. And if not for injuries, um, you know, in the final, you know, probably have a chance to win the franchise's first Stanley Cup. So um, 
this sort of originated with Mike Gillison, the general manager of the Vancouver Canucks. A lot of the cap stuff did. Uh, they were ahead of the curve on a lot of it, and so anybody in Vancouver that complains about it uh, needs to sort of look in the mirror uh, as, you know, as an organization that was a part of sort of creating this trend. Uh, Kevin, before we let you go, I did want to ask you about Thatcher Dimko because the main memory of Thatcher Dimko here in Vegas is him almost single-handedly winning that bubble playoff series. Uh, how bubble good Dimko, is, we call them. How, how good is he, and could he give another performance like that where even if Vegas or Edmonton outplays Vancouver in a series, the Canucks advance because Dimko's awesome? Uh, capable of it, right? Like we've seen it, uh, over the past couple of years, obviously we saw it in the bubble as much as he hates the nickname bubble Demko. Um, that was sort of the, I was going to say the peak of it, but we've seen it since we've seen it in spurts and you know, there's enough consistency. He's been consistently good here in Vancouver to the point where he's, you know, full value to be in the Vesna conversation along with Connor Hellebuck and along with Jacob Markstrom, frankly, um, you know who else would be in that conversation if they could stay healthy for a year is Aiden Hill. Yep. Uh, the only guy with a better adjusted save percentage um, than Aiden Hill this year is Jacob Markstrom. Demko's in that conversation too, and he's had six-week stretches where he's been the best goalie in the NHL. The start of this season, first quarter poll, he was far and away the front runner for the Vezin Trophy. He's cooled off since then, but again, when you sort of have that on your resume, when you know you're capable of that, um, you know, that that's dangerous in the playoff times. He's he is absolutely one of the goalies that is capable of playing at a level that it could steal the series from anyone. Um and you know, and I guess increasingly as much as any goalie can get hot, it's a short list of the guys that do it, you know, somewhat consistently, where they have runs like that, you know, several times a season where they go on heaters for three or four or five weeks and he's definitely on that list. Well he is Kevin Woodley from NHL dot com. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Kevin. My pleasure. So, Kevin Woodley on the Vancouver Canucks, who sit 10 points ahead of the Golden Knights in the Pacific. Vegas does have two games in hand because somehow Vancouver's played 58, Vegas has played 56, and Edmonton has played 53. Yeah. I. When does Edmonton play games? I, uh, I don't think Vegas would be afraid of Vancouver at all, the way they've played them. I don't. I don't think that they would be worried at all, even if they didn't get home ice. Yeah, I don't think so either. I The... Pro- I'd be more worried about Edmonton. Yeah, the problem at this point, and there's still 26, 25 games left, so they could still blow it, but I, I expect Vancouver to win the division. Mm-hmm. Like, they've got a pretty healthy lead, even with the games in hand there. So the problem would be if Vegas is playing Vancouver in the first round, Vegas would have fallen to a wild card. Right. Which means that between now and the end of the season, we're like, holy hell, they kind of suck. Like, that's going to be the, the conversation if they actually fall to a wild card now. No Eichel for a little bit, potentially no Stone for the rest of the regular season could be the explanation as to why. Uh, but yeah, I don't think matchup wise, I think you'd be okay with Vancouver in the playoffs. Oh, I think so too. Um, I, to be honest, if they're healthy, I think they're okay with Edmonton. They yeah, don't, they don't just, like I'm each just comparing other. Comparing both, yeah, but I'd I'd rather play Vancouver than Edmonton. Yeah, I would too. Um, even though Vancouver's still there, then expecting them to fall apart at some point right. just maybe this is the start of it they lost three in a row they gave right. up 100 goals to minnesota the other night but they just have been there the whole time uh, goal difference love to look at it they're plus 54 vegas is plus 26 edmonton's plus 36 so their goal differential is uh very good all right we got tickets to give away college baseball coming to vegas this is 2024 las vegas college baseball classic four teams uh you're getting oklahoma cal ohio state and Pitt. They are all coming to Las Vegas Ballpark. 
March 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. We have two tickets for you. 702-364-1100 is the phone number. If you want to go watch some college baseball, first few days of March, call in now at 702-364-1100. Caller number six at 702-364-1100. Now back to the Press Box on ESPN Las Vegas. I grew up in a city that didn't have any sports, and I wanted to be all of them, so I don't know about that. Um, Tina asked on the text line, what's the code word today? You can win $2,024, and all you got to do is text us. 702-364-1100. That is the text line. Today's jackpot code word is Martin. M-A-R-T-I-N. Martin. Text Martin to 702-364-1100, and you are entered to win $2,024. That's all you got to do. You're in the running. Text between 7 and 5 p.m. today, and you're in. There'll be a new word tomorrow that you can enter. Again, Martin is the word to text, 702-364-1100. Also, because I'm spending every commercial break doing this, um, DJ Thomas did not pad any of his stats against Air Force. DJ Thomas in two games against Air Force combined has 10 points and five assists. JT Toppin in one game against Air Force had 25 and 13. JT Toppin is going to win Mountain West Freshman of the Year because he stat padded against Air Force. I think there's a little more to it. That is his season high in points. So he realized who he was playing against. Yes, and DJ Thomas did not. Two games and he has 10 points against him. Meanwhile, Toppin played him once and had 25 and 13. He's going to win Mountain West Freshman of the Year because he was like, ooh, Air Force. I'll put up some big numbers there. <laughs> While DJ Thomas was all letting Jackie Johnson drive to the rim, like, calm down, get yours. Got to pad the stats. Got to pad the stats. And we're going to look back. Danny's out here predicting it, but we're going to get here March 8th, whenever the hell they whenever announce they this. Whenever they announce the uh, all-conference team. But come on here. I'm going to read off all the Air Force stats. Be like, there you go. JT Toppin won the award. Do they announce those before or after the tournament? First day of the tournament. Uh, first day of the or tournament. Or maybe the day before. But, but yes. they announce okay. it's before. before. It's before. It's all regular season awards stuff. Because right. then they do an all Mountain West tournament team. Right. Which is generally like two te- or three players from the winning team, two from the second place team, or maybe one other guy who had a really big game or something. I like saw a that. tweet this morning from a national guy who has uh, Danny Sprinkle as his choice for national coach of the year. I mean, he should. He should Where be, were right? They picked? Se- like ninth, right? Yeah. They were, they were below UNLV. Yeah. If they, they were, if they win this league, a yeah. league that could get six into the tournament, and ha- replace the entire roster, right? Utah State, it's, it's it's unbelievable that Utah State did this. Guess who he had second? Uh who? T.J. Osselberger. Oh, I like that one. <laughs> he's a good coach. Yeah, it took Keyshawn Gilbert from UNLV. <laughs> now that now he's starting for him, leading them in leading scoring. Them in scoring. We They're have one of the a, ten best teams in the country. We have a program where we could pull sound from, and Ari the producer on Q show on Raider nation. He was looking at that yesterday and he was like, what is this Keyshawn Gilbert highlight? What? He doesn't play for UNLV. <laughs> I was like, no, he's tearing it up at Iowa he's state. The leading scorer on a top 10 team in the country. Yeah. I was like, he's over there with former UNLV head coach Otzelberger. And Ari was like, Oh, okay. That makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Um, not ideal there. Uh, by the way, quick question for you. How uh how bad of a sign is it that Kevin Kruger had a guy who is the leading scorer on a top ten team in the country on his team last year and went nineteen and thirteen and seven and eleven in the Mountain West? I mean, 
he had some issues that kid I think here did he not with what uh, I thought I thought there were some issues there with him um, so I don't know if I'm gonna blame Kruger for winning 19 games with a kid who's now leading maybe he just maybe he found a new home and things worked out better for him You know, they might have should have made the NCAA tournament with the best player on the top 10 team in the country playing in the Mountain yeah. West last year. Maybe there's better defense in the Mountain West than in the Big 12. I don't think that's accurate. That's probably not true. <laughs> I don't think that's accurate at all. That's probably not true. <laughs> uh, yeah, he, w- he went to the best. He's in the best conference in the country. Uh, yeah. Like yeah. The Big 12 is unbelievably yeah. good. And he's leading Iowa State in scoring. They're nine in Ken Palm. They beat Houston earlier this year. I know they just lost to them earlier uh, this, this week. week earlier this week, they're one and one against Houston. Houston, Houston's got the best defense I think right. I've ever seen play. They're oh, they're so good on defense. I don't even know what's going on. I don't know how you get a shot against that team. Air Force might not score a single point if they played <laughs> Houston. Like, what's happening?